And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 353. We're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. My name is Tom Harris. Welcome along to the show. And September is here. It's gotten cooler. It's a lot more comfortable. It's a lot more comfortable to sit in my studio. Yeah, I'm enjoying this cooler weather that we're having. And, of course, looking forward to uh, a nice, cool fall from here on out. I'll probably be wrong about that, but, you know... I'm enjoying it while it lasts anyway. All right, so I don't have a lot to start off with here at the top of the show. I do have a uh, real quick shout out here to the newest member of our Facebook group. And that, of course, is, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Kwame Bernier. Um, I'm not really sure if that is correct, but uh, yeah, welcome Kwame, and I uh, hope you enjoy the group. Feel free to chime in to the various conversations, and of course, if you want to uh, contact the show, it's real easy to do so. You can email the show at radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also post on the Facebook group. All right, so we have an issue of Thor to cover, so let's go ahead and move along to our review. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard. And this week we are looking at the Mighty Thor number 203. Cover date is September of 1972. Cover price 20 cents. Cover art is by John Buscema, inked by himself. Shows Thor, Balder, and Sif, and they are in a ruined cityscape. Very typical uh, John Buscema ruined city. And there are three silhouetted characters all in red with a very strange Kirby-ish sort of silhouette kind of coming out of the sky. It's impossible to tell what they are or who they are, but they are looming forward. It looks like uh, Thor is whirling his hammer around as though he's going to, uh, to strike them. The cover blurb says, they walk like gods. And let's go ahead and open up to the splash page where we have the credit. Stan Lee presents Jerry Conway, scripter. John B. Summit was the artist. Vinnie Coletta was the inker. John Costanza was the letterer. And Roy Thomas was the editor. And we open up on the splash page with the title of the story they walk like gods and thor as you may remember has been completely covered in rock by ego prime he kind of clumped all the earth together and has got this giant earth ball and there's these green almost kryptonite looking rocks uh, mixed in with sort of weird blue ones and he's laying there in, in the big giant rubble pile and he's reaching for his hammer and he can't reach his hammer sif is there and she's trying to help and it looks like she's actually pushing the rocks on top of him. But anyway, so she's kibitzing here. She says, My lord, thou must rise, thou must. As we speak, ego prime doth increase his power and awesome strength, till not even the hand of noble Thor may strive to victory against him. 
Woman, I hear thy words, yet I can do naught but serve them. Consciousness begins to leave me, but try as I might, I cannot bring my hammer to my hand. Milady Sif, get thee back, for within the minute Thor will be no more. Now he's forgetting here that he can summon the hammer to himself, but apparently he's forgotten all about that. Anyway, uh, so then we have uh, Ego Prime, he's appearing, and unlike the sort of bluish character we had last time, he's colored in a uh, Caucasian skin color here, except that his snaky, wormy hair now is, um, yeah, it's, it's purple still, but it, it looks more like hair than, than like the medusa things. And of course, he has his giant blue shorts, which uh, who knows where he got them, because he shouldn't have them. No nipples. Uh, other than that, he's, uh, yeah, it's a big, huge, uh, almost naked man. I, Asgardian, for I saw it in your thoughts that the way to defeat you was to bring distance between you and your tri-stamped weapon. And so I did by burying you alive, for in truth I am Ego, Ego Prime. And Balder rushes forward. The monster hears our very thoughts, milady. In truth would explain much. But nothing of burning moment, brave Balder. I beg thee, aid me. Help me raise Thor's mallet and just save him. They're trying to lift the hammer, but they can't. Of course, you know, the rider's forgetting. You know, Thor could just summon the hammer to himself. But anyway, that's not happening. Here the change begins, milady. I fear it is futile. Only the god of thunder may lift the mystic Mjolnir. Our efforts must be in vain. Vain! Vain is your hopeless attachment to individual life, says Ego. Soon there will be an end to mankind's wasting of its world. Soon all flesh will become one. Earth and its spawn will join to become a single sentient entity. A bioverse like the planet which created me. A world with one mind. The mind of Ego Prime. And we get a shot here of Ego's head floating in space and a burning sun sort of, of thing. And that's not really what Ego looks like, but anyway. Um, Ego is pointing at the giant rock pile and Balder says, Nay, demon, nay. Tis a scheme unnatural, a plan against the very dream which makes these mortals men. Be thou so foolish as to think the gods would let it be? And who will stop me, Asgardian? You or that frightened girl? Mayhap your friends will. The one called Fandral, the other Hogan, and the, the two of them are laying down on the uh, the ground unconscious. Or even the goddess Hildegard? Shall they stay my hand? And yeah, she's laying unconscious too. And we see some of these gloopy Play-Doh monster people that are that they were fighting last issue. Or will your precious Earthmen fight me? Will those I've turned into monsters betray their creator? No, Asgardian, I think not. Earth will die this day, for even now its towers crumble and its glorious city burns. Only the god called Thor threatened me, and he, as you see is a threat no more. And we see the city burning and uh, the gloopy monsters kind of wandering around. And Thor's still conscious and he's uh, saying, Not so, demon. Thine arrogance is thy greatest enemy. For while thou hast spoken, the seconds have fled. The instant hath come for the end of Thor. And there's a, a burst of energy with a Bakum exploding outward. 
when you see what's happening, I, I don't think you'll agree with me that this is how that should work. But anyway, it says, energy swells, and in the moment from one second to the next, an uncanny transformation occurs, a metamorphosis almost unremembered that changes the mighty son of Odin into the lame mortal doctor called Don Blake. So apparently in his changing to Dr. Blake, it's actually caused this huge explosion and thrown all of the rocks off of him. <laughs> Okay, that's kind of dumb. Anyway, so uh, that has happened. He says, Donna's here, and he says, The power released during the change, it shattered the rocks, freed me. But that won't mean a thing unless I reach my cane. Grab it before Ego realizes what's happened. Before he looks around and sees Thor's hammer missing and spies an all-too-human blonde-haired physician. Each time I do this, I find myself praying. And a prayer is a pretty funny thing. For the god of thunder, and he, yeah, he bangs his uh, stick on the ground and becomes Thor once more. And Sif goes running up to him and, and embraces him and he says, uh, For a long moment the tableau remains fixed, and then one figure moves to embrace another. It is a brief embrace at best, for now. The fight goes on, and Thor, Balder uh, are rushing forward with their weapons. Sif is kind of rushing behind them, but she's... God's a very scared expression on her face like she's afraid to do anything. Anyway, they go rushing forward and, and Thor shouts, For Odin! For Asgard! For Earth! And we shift scenes. It says here a pause, a time for shifting of scenes, a relocation of concerns. And we have the uh, the black car that uh, Heimdall and his dwarf friend are, are driving in. It says here, and we're going back in time here. It says 96 hours ago, a speeding sedan that churns the litter of a twilight Brooklyn street. And the, the Brooklyn is looking very dirty and littery indeed. It says the car has the most unusual occupants. And it's Heimdall and the, the, the dwarf, whose name I don't remember, and this guy who they rescued last time, the, the, the black guy. And he's like, hey, look, maybe you saved my life back in that tenement, and maybe you didn't. But don't you figure you owe me an explanation or something? Like telling me where we're headed for starts? Mardo, Master Heimdall shall speak when he doth please, and not, I fear, one instant before. Yeah, fat lot of good that does me, shorty. What is this anyway? A blasted pleasure cruise? And they end up in a, uh, at a dockside and there's like this big yacht and uh, they're, they're boarding the, the yacht and Heimdall finally speaks. He says, Master Kimball, I do assure thee, this be no pleasure cruise. For as thou no doubt doth see, this is in truth no rich man's yacht and our purpose no matter of frivolity. My eyes, something knifing inside them. Oh, sweet Lord. And uh, they're going down below the, uh, the deck and somebody carrying a machine gun, uh, pointing a machine gun at them. And the voice says, talk, my friend, and quickly, or the small one dies. First of all, who are you? And what have you done with? And Heimdall changes back into his, um, his normal form. So he doesn't have this weird business suit and hat kind of thing going on anymore. And the guy says, Heimdall, friend, we'd not recognized you. Yea, these garments are just tasteful, says Heimdall, but more than necessary in a culture so suspicious as this. Put thy weapon down, Carter Diam. I yeah, don't remember this character, but the time for violence is past. I have brought the third and last of our select group, the man called Jason Kimball. Maybe you people know what this game's all about, but I'm lost. Big man saved me from a team of gun-happy loan sharks. What'd he do for you? Perhaps I may better answer for this girl, Chi Lo. Her facility with English is at best only partial, and at that, 
Miraculous. For all people in her seacoast village, only Chilo has been to the mainland university in Tokyo. But like others, from other small towns, she did abandon her studies to return to the life she did know and love. And it shows uh, Chilo uh, getting the idea that she's supposed to be Japanese, but Chilo is not a very Japanese name. So anyway, uh, it shows her diving... uh, diving into the water from a, looks like a fishing boat, or maybe she's a sponge fisherman or something like that. Anyway, she's diving into the water. There she would have stayed, says Heimdall, had I not found her and offered her an even more fulfilling life, one that will combine the joys of working with the earth as well as toiling beneath the waves. So yeah, we, we kind of see her uh, on a rice paddy with a basket and also under, underwater with a spear and fish around. As for Carter Diam, a man of hidden sensitivity, perhaps he should relate the tale of our meeting, for only he can know its fullest meaning. And he says, What do I say, Jason Kimball, snarls the grim-faced Israeli. Do I speak of war and the fighting for the land of my people, of struggling till I forgot the purpose of it all? Or do I speak of weariness and the sickness of my heart, and the illness born of the fear that the only purpose ultimately was death? Should I speak of this or another thing? Should I mention the fear or the hand reaching out of the darkness? Tell me which. Perhaps then I'll know why one look into Heimdall's eyes changed my life. Perhaps then I'll understand both him and myself. And we kind of see him fighting in, a, in some sort of a battle. And then uh, Heimdall reaching out from behind a tree and grabbing his shoulder. And yeah, so he's kind of picking him up in the woods, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> so, so Jason is like, yeah, man, that's really neat. You got yourself a farmer and a fighter, so what the hell do you want with me? Methinks it should be obvious, mortal. Hast thou come so far that thou dost not remember thy purpose, thy very meaning, that once thou didst call thyself an artist? Yeah, but that was so, so long ago. Jason Kimball, I say thee nay. Thy talent doth remain with thee, and for that reason thou wert sought by the order of the All-Father himself. He who men call Odin, and we get a shot here of Odin sitting in his uh, throne, and he's kind of leaning over his chessboard, and uh, there's a, a giant candle burning here. It says, and now we return to the modern hour. Our eyes are going where other forms may not, for the smoke-darkened central chamber of the palace royal where the brooding silence is abruptly broken. And yeah, so uh, Odin is here in his chamber and we've shifted scenes and all of a sudden the door bursts open, throwing the guards aside with a thwack and a slam. And it is Carnilla and she's bursting into Odin's chamber without any kind of announcement at all. Carnilla, says Odin, what means this rude intrusion? Darest thou interrupt Odin's reverie? Aye, that I'll dare and more and dare thrice over till thou tell me what thou hast done with Balder. And she thwacks aside all of his chessmen that are on his board with a crack. And uh, we see that Odin's table is actually the sort of Atlas-type statue of a a guy holding up the table on his back. And the the vizier comes rushing in and and, uh, is like, My lord, I beg thy forgiveness. I fear I did speak too openly, for tis I that told the Norn Queen of what doth transpire on the planet Earth. I plead with thee, my liege, don't. But wait, my mind fair spins. Lord Odin, tell me tis not true. Not this, not the game. And he's, he's pointing at the chess pieces on the, on the ground, and, and uh, Odin is like, 
What answer may I give thee, vizier? Thou hast seen what thou hast seen. Art both of thee mad, says Carnoa. Thy words be meaningless. And tell me, not of my fair beloved Balder. I prithee, Olafather, if anger will not touch thee, let my tears reach thy heart and soul. Please tell me, what is thy plan? What dost thou want of the man I truly love? And Odin sees her kind of crying and, okay, decides to, to come clean, I guess. He says, Cornilo, thy tears do touch me. For this and other reasons beyond thy ken, I'll show thee what thou dost need to know. But woman, I warn thee, twill not be an image to thy liking. This I promise thee. And we see an image of earth and... He kind of waves, Odin kind of waves his hands and you get this sort of cosmic voyeuroscope effect. And we're seeing basically a recap of the last couple of issues. And we see the battle between Ego Prime and Balder and, and Thor and Sif and etc. And Cardinal says, The smoke doth clear. I see moving figures. There, my lady, Odin's son and thy loved one doth fight side by side. But what mad fight is this? They do battle mutant ants, creatures unlike any ever born on this planet Earth. Stay thy judgment, Carnilla, and watch. Watch as the giant insects summarily fall, and my son doth turn to another foe. And he has, it's the Ego Prime again, and we are back to where we were uh, earlier. Nice transition there, I have to say. Anyway, uh, so we're back on Earth, and Thor is shouting, Ego Prime! Thy mutant slaves have been routed, demon. Will thou at last fight, Thor? Oi, Thunder God, I'll fight you strength versus strength. Power versus power. And he throws basically a whole building at Thor. And, and Sif is there too. Well enough, monster. For I swear to thee by Odin's beard. The power, the glory, tis mine. And Thor uses his hammer to blast out an energy blast and destroys the building with a bahloom. And uh, we get a <laughs> weird squinty Thor here. Yeah, very strange. I don't know if that's an inking thing or if Thor is supposed to be sort of Popeye-ish shutting his eye. But anyway, Thor doesn't look too happy. And Sif is saying, Thor, he falters not. Still he rages. Still he survives. Milady, thou dost forget thyself. Are we not Asgard's finest warriors, the greatest of the living great? Shall we buckle like knee-weak children, or shall we go on unto our final hour, unto our noble debts? And Thor whips his hammer around. He smacks Ego Prime in the forehead with his hammer with a giant batak, knocks him back, knocks him into one of these ruined buildings, uh, which he knocks down. And we have uh, you know, basically still narration coming from the voyeuroscope in, in Asgard. Odin, who is this silver-maned creature? Why doth he stalk the ruins of earth? Oh, father, speak, I beg of thee. How doth he fit into thy mystic plan, if plan there be? Norn, queen, I do assure thee there is a plan, and the monster called Ego Prime is in truth its very pivot, and more than this, I dare not say. And we continue to see Thor and Ego Prime fighting, and uh, this dialogue's coming from Thor here. In all the years I've walked the land of men, never have I felt so much a part of battle, although my blood is a fire with its all-consuming heat. And he throws the hammer again, hits Ego Prime right in the face with a crack, 
and returns to Thor's hand. He says, And yet, I do welcome this strange sensation, for I do understand it, and I know its cause. I fight not for my own survival, but for the life of a living race. Tis this which doth fire me. And it's this which will destroy you, says Ego Prime. And he reaches out and he grabs Thor in his hand, grabs his legs anyway. You are but the unit of your racial whole. Well, I am Ego Prime. And uh, we see uh, Balder and Sif. And Sif has finally drawn her sword and is looking like she might actually do something. Balder, what shall we do? The creature doth ignore our mightiest blows. Then we must find mightier ones, milady. For this I do swear, while strength there remains in this my frail form. Thor shall not die. And uh, Baldur is coming up behind Ego Prime with his sword, and he's striking at Ego Prime, kind of stabbing him in the back, it looks like. says, uh, and the caption says, uh, there is a tension in things alive. A bond between elements, animate and inanimate. And when that bond is broken, mayhap by stroke of sword, there is tension released. And so there's kind of an explosion with a katoom, and we see Ego Prime drops Thor, and he falls down. The caption says, silence, a silence so deep it seems as though the very world has died, and yet the silence is only a foreshadowing of that awesome moment yet to come, a moment which rapidly approaches, as each instant must e'er follow the one before. And uh, Ego does not look like he's in very good shape. We don't see any kind of wound or anything on him, but yeah, he doesn't seem like he's doing so well. And uh, Sif is saying, my lord, thou art free, and yet... The creature doth still live, and rises once more. Yea, tis as I feared, says Thor. Naught may hold gainst that grey form. And he, of course, losing the, the fact that, that Ego's not grey in this colouring. Anyway, Milady, um, get thee back. Nay, I'll stay with thee, my love, says Sif. For I think the final seconds are near upon us, and I'll have thine arms in mine when that final instant comes. And we shift scenes, and we see some new people approaching what's going on here. Uh, and it is, of course, the dwarf, and as Kamor is the name, and Heimdall, and the three humans that uh, Heimdall has gathered. And says, suddenly, the goddess Sif's words die away. Her form becomes motionless, and her eyes riveted to the vision before her. Riveted as are the eyes of certain new arrivals. And uh, we have the new arrivals, and uh, the dwarf says, Lord Heimdall, what doth all this wreckage mean? But one week ago we stood upon a ship, friend Camor. One week ago Odin's plan was naught but dream work, and now tis near reality. But master, master! I do see the creature, Camor. I do see and know. The moment of truth is now. And we ship scenes to Silas Grant and Tan and I all thought well, they'd forgotten all about them. Uh, they're still fighting some of these gloopy Plato people in a tenement, it says. Pack ya demons, spawn of Hades. Um, an hour ago ye have may have been men, and now ye are lusting scavengers unto the pit of y'all. And the, uh, they're hiding in an apartment, and there's all these monsters trying to get in. And they're trying to close the door. They're, the creatures are kind of just sticking their hands through the door, and Silas is trying to close it. it says, There, woman, we'll be safe for a time. You better be quick about fixing a blasted pistol of yours. I've got a feeling we'll be needed it. Tell me, Silas Grant, why have you aided me, says Tana. Now there's something I've been asking myself, lady. Guess I can't rightly blame you for what happened to me people and me planet. And they're talking about the planet Black World from a few issues back. Only for that creature you unleashed. 
a strangely sane attitude, Silas. For a human that was an uncivilized savage till he got evolved by the thing out there. Maybe so, Missy, or maybe I ain't had a chance to get too civilized just yet, like you. And we shift back to an alleyway where we have the voluminous Volstagg. And remember, he'd rescued this uh, little girl, and, and he's kind of guiding her through an alleyway. <laughs> it says, um, Take heart, child, though the battle draws ever nearer. Noble Volstagg shall surely protect thee. And Missy Pompadour, too? Both thee and thy doll, child. And tis a project best fulfilled by wise flight. Oh, come on, Mr. Volstagg. I know a place. Missy and me play here all the time. Whenever Auntie doesn't want me. Do you like tea? I know not the beverage, though he knew it was a beverage that she was talking about. But if thou has a stein of it hidden, eh, eh? A hush falls without, and in truth I like it not. Tis a silence unnatural, like the pause before a storm. And we shift back out to where Thor and company are. Thor and Balder and Siffer here. Thor's like going back like he's going to strike. And there's a blinding burst of light. And we get uh, Ego uh, transforming in some way. And he says, I have waited long enough. At last, the hour, the hour of Ego Prime. Since first I saw day, since first I felt night, I have known. Evolution is mine to control. All life is but a fleshy putty in my hands. You. Mine to change as change I will. Today, old earth died. Now let the new begin. And we have a full page of, of Ego, and he's blasting Heimdall and the three humans, and the dwarf as well. And uh, it's a full page, but uh, we'll talk about that one at the end of the episode. It says, imagine yourself a god, a mobile section of a living planet. Imagine the world trembling in the lightest grasp of your idle fingers. The universe, a cosmic toy. The myriad suns, no more than passing playthings. Imagine all this and try, try to imagine even more. And then as all your mighty imagined world swells to completion, destroy it unwittingly, unknowingly, with a single foolish gesture. And he's blasting with energy, like I said, Heimdall, the three humans, and uh, the dwarf. And we see a reaction here from Thor, Sif, and, and Balder. It says, in the moment after, as those around you stare in bewildered disbelief, realize your error. Understand the depth and horror of your hideous mistake. Feel the lifeblood ebbing from your form and shape. And slowly, mutely, fade away. And we see all that going on, that the ego is shrinking, and then he turns like into a ghost, and then he just kind of turns to smoke and is gone. By Odin's sacred sword, says Thor, the demon did drain itself, or mayhap was drained. My lord, my lord, what can it matter? Tis over, tis done, all that is is no more. Whatever the reason, whatever the method, that monstrous creature is gone, and she embraces Thor on his neck. My lady, forgive me, but methinks the end hath not yet come, says Balder. My lord and lady, look! And Balder is pointing at the uh, three humans, and they have been transformed, and they look very different. They're wearing very fancy new clothes that look very much like superhero outfits of some description. 
How often have the poets sung of the greatness which lies sleeping in the soul of man? Too often, too often. Too often have we turned a deaf ear to their song. Too often have we preferred a blind inner eye rather than a true view of our ultimate and ceaselessly frustrated potential. On this cold morning, no poets sing. What need is there for song when the theme is fulfilled? And the uh, three humans have grown to a pretty big size. And like I said, they're looking kind of superhero-y. And <laughs> Heimdall is there and the, and the dwarf. And Thor says, Heimdall, guardian of the Rainbow Bridge. Friend and fellow, what meaning has this? Who are these transformed mortals? What be their purpose? And thine in the name of Odin? How? And we see a pair of glowing eyes appearing in the clouds and the voice booming out. My son, tis I who will answer thy worthy questions, and by all the fates, glad I am that I can at last. I can! All three were transformed, as thou sayest, to a higher form of human life. And truly, this was done by Ego Prime. My lord, says Thor, "'Tis still a mystery. Why?' "'Twas my plan from the very beginning, "'even before the dread Mangog did reappear. "'For this did I send Sif to Blackworld, "'and thee to World's End, "'and Heimdall here to Earth.'" And then this happened some time ago in the series, at least ten issues ago. "'Only by the most elaborate scheme "'could my delicate plan succeed, "'and succeed it has.'" For this day a new race of gods has been born, a younger race, one which will breathe fresh fire into the furnace of the cosmic all. And Thor doesn't seem real happy about this, and he says, And what of Earth? Didst thou need to decimate a world for a plan? All shall be as it was before, says Odin. The mortals will have no memory of what has occurred. Yea, and our memories, my lord? Thou didst make us pawns, pieces in a game. Tell me, noble Odin, beloved father, faithful liege, wert thou certain that all thy precious pawns would survive thy planning and plotting? Or didst thou not even care? And, and Thor is yelling at Odin, and Odin does not look happy in his visage in the sky. He looks kind of scowling. And we have a next issue blurb. Next exile on Earth. And that is Thor number 203. And we'll be talking all about this issue right after this message. The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, in which four guys talk about romance comics and about romances in comics with Siskoid. We're all uh, French Canadians here. Marty! In horror comics, there's often like this little, you know, <laughs> romance tinge, I guess. Okay. Bass. <laughs> we oh, just yeah. turned on him! <laughs> and yours truly, Fern. I'm very aroused. Featuring the overproduced wonder that is Romance Comics Theater every episode. Dan, I knew it couldn't last from the first day you eyeballed me when I reported to work. It wouldn't matter if I washed in laundry soap and came to work in a burlap sack. I'd turn you on. And you have the same effect on me. I... I do? The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, available on iTunes. We've had a comic book And we are back, and of course we have a few things to say about this issue. First of all, there's a lot in this issue that doesn't make a lot of sense. They're... they're trying to draw these kind of disparate 
things together that may or may not make any sense at all. And I think overall, the, the, it just doesn't really work. The sort of Ego Prime story has been kind of a mess anyway. It, it's not a very well-organized story. At first, it was a sort of the B-plot, and there was just people being chased around by, by the crystalline monster, and then that became the big blue Ego Prime, who then turned sort of a you know Caucasian color, and basically it's just a big fight between ego prime and this and then you know ego prime is talking about yeah we're going to destroy everything and we're going to have everybody merge together into a big glob and and that's you know basically turn earth into some sort of weird hybrid living planet entity and then he blasts these three random humans that were gathered together by Heimdall and his dwarf companion and they turn into these weird godlike humans it doesn't really make much sense uh it's not it's not i don't know it's like they didn't know what they were going to do with it and eventually they kind of say oh yeah well then we can have ego prime just kind of create these uh these new gods and i think that there might actually be kind of a little tweak here where we have the, the you know, Marvel writers and they're saying, yeah, well, yeah, because Kirby's gone now, we're, we're going to create some new gods of our own. Ha, ha, ha. And, uh, and so we're, we're kind of seeing that, that play out here. Um, I don't know that these characters exist anymore in the Marvel Universe nowadays. They might. They might not. I really don't know. But uh, I guess, yeah, we guess we never would, you know, until, until we find out later. But anyway, um, so... The story, yeah, it has a bit to be desired. It's kind of clunky. It's kind of broken up, and we've got these weird subplots going on. We've got Volstagg following a little girl around into a basement. We've got some kind of weird you know, stuff going on with Heimdall and the dwarf and creating these new godlike creatures. There's a lot not to like here. It's just kind of a mess, and, and maybe they'll wrap it all up, and maybe they won't. I mean, it is an early 70s Marvel comic, and so the quality, of course, is a little bit uneven. But anyway, uh, artwork, too, is a little bit uneven. I mean, I like John B. Summers' work in general. This is not great. I think some of it is the inking. I think the weird squinty faces that we get, they're actually pretty similar to the squinty faces that we had uh, you know, Kirby under Coletta's inks. And, and uh, it doesn't work as well with Bisema. Bisema is a more polished penciler. He needs... A, an inker that is going to to finish his work. He needs a Joe Sinnott or a Chick Stone or somebody of that nature who's going to come in and embellish his work. I know that Buscema does have a tendency sometimes, especially when he rushes, to be a little bit sketchy. And he's just not a good combination with Vinnie Coletta on inks. I mean, like I said, Vinnie Coletta is a better inker for somebody like George Tusca or, or somebody of that who has that sort of unfinished look to their style that, that would work well with, with, his, with his style of inking. Um, yeah, so the art is, is okay, but you can tell that Buscema was rushed. He was probably working on Conan or something other, you know, other than this. Yeah, this is not his, his best work. So, yeah, other than that, I don't have a whole lot to say about the issue other than the fact that it's kind of drawn together a few of these weird, random moments that we've had here and there in the series we did have a couple of pretty good transitions um yeah that's hard to do i mean sometimes comic transitions are very abrupt and you know they're trying i mean i guess it's it's not the worst issue in the world 
All right, so I really don't have a lot much else to say. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening, and we really do appreciate it. And as always, you can email the show. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>